0: When I used to sell books door-to-door, there were moments that got very discouraging. You meet all types of people. Some people that are filled with the Spirit and others that are filled with a different spirit. And Sometimes people can be so toxic you know what I'm talking about, and I found that early on, I would meet someone at a door, and they would just be spewing venom. I mean, you know what I'm talking about—just toxic, filled with anger and vengeance, uh, narcissistic personalities that will not listen to reason. Anyway, they come out, come out the door, just scream at me, and and I would get discouraged, and it would affect the entire interactions going down the street after that and come to find out one of my canvassing leaders told me look we're in a great controversy here and the devil knows that few doors down there's someone that who's really seeking for truth and for light and so what the devil's many times going to do is try to get you discouraged before you meet that person that is searching for truth and and I I found this to be a reality in my canvassing experience, and it got to the place where an individual would come out and scream and curse at me and say all types of belligerent things, racist comments, all types of things under the sun. I got to the place where I had to hold myself from cracking a smile because I didn't want it to be misinterpreted by that individual. And I'd just be like, thank you, sir, thank you, ma'am. And I would run to the next door because I said, I know there's someone on this street that is searching for you. I know there's someone here. And so many times I'd meet that soul at the door that would open the door and say, David, I was praying. I was praying for this. I just lost a loved one, and I need this book. Can you pray with me? And I would pray with the individual, and I would go away from that door and say, thank you, Jesus, for that experience. And I want to tell you that we are in a great controversy. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. There's an invisible reality that we cannot see. And I want to tell you that in my years of pastoral ministry, I have never experienced such a a vengeance of relentless attacks as we have prepared for this series that is going to take place tonight. I can't even share this morning about my week. I never thought in my years of Pastoral ministry, I was thinking this week, on uh, engaged in a circumstance and situation. I said, they didn't teach this at the seminary. But I want to tell you that we have a God in heaven, amen, that is faithful and that is in control. We have 200 individuals that are registered. These are pre-registered online. Brian McMahon has indicated in all his years of evangelism he has never seen anything like this before. Something is happening. Jesus is getting ready to come, and the devil is upset. Don't let anyone keep you from bringing a soul to these meetings. I want to share a couple of things before we get into our message here tonight. Um, if you were there Wednesday night for the organizational meeting for the evangelistic series, uh, Angelo got up. You remember that? The son of Angelco. Just a little backstory on his story, two years ago we felt, a group of people felt impressed to get together and and pray, have an upper room experience here at the Hillside O'Malley Church, and we began praying for the Holy Spirit and revival here at 7 a.m. Now if you're familiar with Adventist culture, it's difficult to get souls here at 9.30 on Sabbath morning. And so we stepped down in faith and said, 7 a.m., we're going to begin praying for the Holy Spirit in revival. And so we began. so on a given Sunday morning, uh, 15 to 25 people are here praying for the Holy Spirit in revival, and they come voluntarily, believe it or not. They, they show up early to, to pray for the Holy Spirit. And one of the attendees said, hey, we should start making a list of people that we want to invite to this prophecy seminar. And, and so emerged a list that grew to four different those huge Post-it boards, four of them. Okay, over 200 names, almost 300 names that accumulated during this two-hour, uh, two-year period that we were praying for the Holy Spirit and revival. And, and last Sunday morning, you know, I was out of town, but uh, Ang Angelo, thank you, Angelo, felt impressed. Saturday night to go to that Sunday morning prayer meeting. He comes to Sunday morning prayer meeting seven a.m. and Craig Hamilton, who's leading out, uh, decided to divide the individuals up into groups, each one having a board to go over the names to invite to the to have the Holy Spirit touch their hearts so they can come to this series. So they're going through the names, and Angelo is is a part of a group. And uh, this wasn't planned. He's given, you know, they're going through the names on the board, and he's praying, and he sees his name (laughs) on the board, and he just breaks down. And he was on the first board, meaning that we began praying for him early on, and he got up Wednesday night in that organizational meeting and said, look, I am here because of prayer amen praise his name i am here because of prayer i want to tell you friends something is happening something is happening in this city here in anchorage we're praying for rain amen praying for holy spirit rain and i believe the holy spirit is falling we're in a great controversy and just last night my wife texted me and said you got to read this story it's posted on the General Conference website, revivalreformation.org, by Melanie Coleman. Melanie Coleman is the wife of Jeff Coleman. They used to be pastoring her at Palmer. And they were preparing for their own evangelistic series. They're now pastoring in Oregon. And she decided to get a group together to pray. And uh, it ended up just being her praying for this evangelistic series. And here it is. I want to read to you a few uh, paragraphs from this. You can read this on the website of the General Conference here. That first Friday night, it was just me. I felt alone, but I prayed anyway. Again, Sabbath evening, it was just me. I felt a bit more discouraged. I put a beautiful rendition I put on a beautiful rendition of the Lord's Prayer. While it played, I prayed. I knew that where two or three were gathered in your name, you are there. But what if it's just me? I prayed silently. When the song finished, I opened my eyes, and the room was full of angels. I started crying as I looked around the room in amazement, The angels were tall, tall as the ceiling, with broad shoulders. They stood shoulder to shoulder with their backs to the wall around the edges of the room. I felt tiny compared to them. They had wings and wore flowing robes like clothes. I was drawn to their faces. They looked like men, very handsome men. Their eyes were so kind, and they smiled gently. Their facial features were defined, and they had a warrior-like atmosphere of boldness around them. Their dark hair flowed down to their shoulders, and they looked almost iridescent. While I couldn't see through them, I almost could. Their forms shone with a yellow-white color. I was only able to see them for four or five seconds, and then they were gone. But I couldn't stop crying for the rest of the evening." I had been so discouraged, wondering if God could work if it was only me in the prayer room, he showed me in a miraculous way that if one person is praying, it is enough. I feel so unworthy and humbled that he would give me this great gift. I still cry often as I think about this sacred experience. I continue to pray in our church room alone, but I'm no longer discouraged, for I know that the room is full of angels. Even though I can't see them, I just had to share, we must never underestimate the power of prayer, even if just one person is praying. That's enough. God is at work, even when we can't see. Oh, praise his name. Um, just had to share that as we prepare for our series here tonight, and so so begins this opportunity that we have to share the love of Jesus with individuals that are coming to Anchorage, and let's continue to be faithful in prayer. Amen? Uh, some of you have asked about our worship service here. We will still continue to have worship service here through the evangelistic series, and I'll be preaching, and then we'll join them in the evening uh, for the evangelistic series. So that's a just a an item that some people have had on their minds. I invite you to open your Bibles with me to the book of James, James chapter 1 verse 12 through 15. We're continuing in our series on the science of victory over sin. James chapter 1, and let's pick up in verse 12, go on to verse 15, James chapter 1, verse 12 through 15. The book of James is after the book of Hebrews. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he's drawn away by, the, by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. I'd like to pick it apart with you very quickly here. The Bible indicates that, that sin has a unique type of progression that is similar to to getting pregnant. It's analogous to conception, the pregnancy, and the birth. And the book of James says that the anatomy or the progression or the stages of sin is similar to the conception experience. Now, before that, the fascinating thing about this verse in particular is that strangely absent in this particular aspect of temptation and sin is the devil. The devil is not present in James' analogy here. Now, this is not to say that the devil does not tempt us. We know he does, but this seems to allude to the reality that even if today the devil were to suddenly vanish, which would be a wonderful thing, if the devil were to suddenly be removed from planet Earth and all of his imps and demons that we would still battle with temptation. That's what the Bible seems to allude to, that that we're not only tempted from without by the devil, we are also tempted from within. We also have sinful natures that we've inherited from Adam. Every person born into this world inherits selfish tendencies, a bend towards sin, and so even if the devil were to be removed, we would still be tempted from within from sinful desires that pull and tug at us every single day. And here, James points out that many times we get so consumed in this idea of sin as an action, which it is, but what James points out is that sin actually begins before the action on the level of conception. There's a point in which sin is conceived in the mind. Now, I want to go to the screen here very quickly. Here we have a bird's-eye view of the sanctuary, and this is an illustration of salvation, how God brings us back to that face-to-face communion that Adam and Eve had before the fall. And there's three distinct compartments in the sanctuary. You have the outer court, which has the brazen altar and the laver, You have the holy place, which has the candlesticks, the table of showbread, and the altar of incense. And then you have the Ark of the Covenant, which represents the Shekinah glory of God and God's presence. And so Adam and Eve, before the fall, had the experience of being in the very presence of God, the Ark of the Covenant experience, the most holy place experience. But after the fall, every person born into this world is born outside of the court. And we come in to the courtyard, we accept Jesus as our savior, are baptized, and then we have the holy place experience with the table of showbread, the altar of incense, and the golden candlesticks. Now, the important thing to recognize when it relates to the sinful nature and these desires that we have is that when you come into the courtyard experience, you accept Jesus as your savior and you're baptized, what happens to your sinful nature? Does your sinful nature suddenly, abracadabra, after the labor, after baptism, just just vanish and disappear? Is that the case? Now, that that was a surprise to me after I was baptized and had had the labor experience. I came up the other side, and the next day, I still had to deal with the sinful nature. Now, the question is, when is our sinful nature removed? The sinful nature is not removed until this experience when we are, at the second coming of Jesus, according to the New Testament, being being given a new body and new natures. So at the second coming, glorification, we all get an upgrade, not only physically, but our sinful spiritual nature is removed. So in heaven, we are not going to be tempted from within by these sinful pulls and selfishness and and motivations that pull at us every single day. Now, the question is, how do we relate to these sinful desires that pull at us every single day? And that is the holy place experience in which God gives us the victory to not walk in the flesh, according to Romans chapter 8, but in the Spirit. And this is a continual process of sanctification. Like Paul says, I die daily. And it's interesting because you look in the the word tamid that's used for the word continually that's translated in our English Bibles. The word tamid is used continually for the table of showbread, the altar of incense, and the golden candlesticks. It's something to be uh, happening on a day-to-day basis, continually. Now, let's look at the anatomy of sin very quickly here. James chapter 1, verse 15. Then, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full-grown, brings forth death. So, there, there is a moment in which we have conception of sin that takes place. And where where does conception of sin take place? In the mind. Now, Now, in this particular case, we are talking about premeditated sin. Okay, Sin that takes place in the mind first, and then it comes out of our fingertips into actions. Now, we can get in a very legalistic mode of thinking, look, I'm not going to do it, I'm just going to imagine it. But in the New Testament, remember in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus pointed out that if you premeditate, that means to think about before, adultery, you have committed adultery where? In your heart. In other words, Jesus says it's not just the action, but thinking about it, imagining it, you're actually culpable for it. If you hate your brother, you are in danger of murder. You think about it in your mind. So so the Bible points out that when we talk about the battle against sin, the battle against sin really begins where? In the mind. At the point of conception. At the point when you consent. Now, this is not to say that everything that flashes into your head because sometimes you just get thoughts and you're like, where in the world did that come from? So thoughts just pop into your head. And so you have a split second when that thought pops into your head and you're like, that's an appealing thought. Maybe I'll meditate on it. That means to think about it a little bit more. There's a there's a fine line when you pass from temptation to consent and then and then conception. And then conception. And by that point, the train has already left the station. Just like with conception, once conception has happened, in nine months, you're going to have a baby. And so the key to this battle is when the thought and the temptation comes to prevent conception. That is where the battle lies, according to James. Then when desire, the human sinful human nature, has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Now, I invite you to open your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 11. And we have this fascinating story of David that stays back at home when he should really be out there in battle with his generals. 2 Samuel is after 1 Samuel. Sorry, that doesn't help very much, but uh, which is after Judges. So Joshua judges Ruth, 1 and 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1, And it happened in the spring of that year, at the time when the kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged it, But David remained at Jerusalem. That was David's first mistake. Be careful about idle moments. You ever heard the saying, idleness is the devil's workshop? David up to this point had been engaged with warfare with the enemy and he got to a place when he thought, you know what? I'm going to let them go to battle, and I'm going to stay back in Jerusalem. I'm going to relax for a little while. I'm going to have some idle time. And the Bible indicates that he had so much idle time that he thought that he would go on the roof of his palace and walk around. And that's what took place. In verse two, then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing and the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David here is walking on the roof of his house. He's in an idle moment. He's in a vulnerable moment and he's walking around and he sees Bathsheba. Now when you follow the anatomy and the progression of sin, there was a moment that conception took place in David's mind. Are you following me? There was a moment in which he premeditated adultery. Right here. And once that conception took place, he acted, he had his servants get Bathsheba, and the rest is history. Not only do we have premeditated adultery that took place in the mind of David, but we have premeditated murder that took place in the mind of David. When he had Joab receive a message that was delivered, ironically, by Uriah the Hittite himself, that Uriah the Hittite was to die when they pulled back the soldiers. And so conception took place in the mind of David right here, and this is where the battle lies in our Christian experience. When we talk about our thoughts, we're told that our thoughts and our feelings determine our moral character. In other words, if you want to know who you are, I had an individual. Camp meeting this summer, I sat down with him, and he said, who is David Shin?" I thought, oh, what in the world are you asking? But, but if you want to know who David Shin is, thoughts plus feelings equal the moral character. The things that we think about continually, the things that we knock around in our head on a repeated and ritualistic basis, the things that are our favorite thoughts form our feelings, which form our moral character. And here is the the thing that God does in our Christian experience. He brings us from out of the court. We accept Jesus as our personal Savior. We're saved. We have the assurance of eternal life. We're baptized. And then we come into the holy place experience where God says, Look, we need to have a retraining of the way that you have habitually been thinking your entire life. And this is a process. So, so we have these neural pathways that have been formed, these, these sinful thoughts, these sinful trajectories that have been formed, and, and it's like a highway, especially if we come to the Lord later in our Christian experience, which is why the book of Ecclesiastes says, Remember God when you're young. Amen? Now, this is not to say that you can't come to the Lord later on, but later on, there is so much that you have to fight against. And so God brings you into the sanctification experience, and one of those involves new thinking patterns. You come to the candlestick, and there every day, a high priest or a priest would come and fill those candlesticks with oil representing the Holy Spirit. And this is something that we need to do. I don't care how long you've been a Christian. We need to do this every day. Amen? Just like the priest came in every day and filled those lampstands with oil, we need to come in to that holy place experience every day and say, Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit. Fill me is my earnest plea. And the Bible says in Philippians chapter 2 that the Lord will then work in you. All right? Not just with you. He'll work in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And when the Holy Spirit comes in, the Bible indicates that he brings with him the presence of Jesus Christ. And so this is a daily experience, and the Lord begins to channel our thoughts in a pure and holy direction. Now, this is a process. It doesn't happen overnight. Then we come to the altar of incense experience, where God, which represents our prayer life, and we're told that prayer is the breath of the soul, the secret of spiritual power. When we come into situations, or we know that we're going to be in situations where we're going to be tempted, we need to pray and say, Lord, I'm in a compromising situation. Lord, help me. Help me. Help me not to put myself in a situation, but if I find myself in a situation in which I'm going to be vulnerable and compromised, Lord, help me. What if David, while he was walking on the roof of that house, saw Bathsheba, and in that moment he prayed to God and said, Lord, help me. It would have been a different story. There would not have been conception in his mind. And so it's a battle for what takes place on the arena of our mind and the the thought processes of Christians that have accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior we need to bring every thought into obedience to Jesus Christ amen this this is where the battle is we can't just let our thoughts run riot just go in any direction you know there's cer- certain circumstances and situations where, where you're engaged in and, and sometimes, let me tell you, situations are just toxic. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, I feel like I want to take a bath after that. And, and, and you get some of that, you know? And sometimes it could just get in there and just knock around in your brain and I'm like, Lord, help me because this is making me, you know, very upset. And it's a battle here and I have to say, Lord, Help me to channel my thoughts in a different direction. Because this is is consuming me. So we ask for the Holy Spirit and we pray to God and say, Lord, help me not to think these thoughts. Help me. Please help me. And sometimes, friends, there's, there's things that are said that just sit in there. You know what I'm talking about. It's like, it's not aggressive, but it's like passive aggressive, right? And you're more bothered that you're bothered, right? It just, it just kind of sits in there. And you're like, oh, man. And, and, and you have to deal with that challenge. And this is where prayer comes in. You just say, Lord, I need help. I need help to channel my thoughts And then we come to the table of showbread. The Bible says man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You'll notice that every time that Jesus was tempted, he met it with, it is written. We can't do it any better than Jesus Christ. Which means when the temptation comes, we meet it with Scripture. Scripture. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's a text. I use it. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You're engaged with an individual or a challenger, circumstance in your life that is bringing out the worst in you, and you say, Lord, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. There is power in God's word, and this is where the battle lies. You should be armed. Amen? But we're not engaged in physical warfare, we're engaged in spiritual warfare. And so when the temptation comes, be armed with the word of God. You should have a text ready right there and say, Lord, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And it's in that circumstance and that situation that you can call out to the Lord Jesus in prayer in that situation. I want to read a few quotations here. In regards to thoughts and the Christian experience in Heavenly Places, page 164, we need a constant sense of the ennobling power of pure thoughts and the damaging damaging influence of evil thoughts. Let us place our thoughts upon holy things. Let them be pure and true, for the only security for any soul is right thinking. I want to read on. Message to young people. Page 144. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Many thoughts make up the unwritten history of a single day, and these thoughts have much to do with the formation of character. Our thoughts are to be strictly guarded. For one impure thought makes a depression on the soul, makes an impression on the soul. An evil thought leaves an evil impress on the mind. If the thoughts are pure and holy, the man is better for having cherished them. We need to turn our attention to God, to Scripture. Let that be our meditation. You know, I'm getting to the place right now where I don't want to even read the news anymore. It's depressing. It makes me angry. It makes me upset. I never come away feeling edified. Now, I'm not saying that we should be uninformed, but we should make our favorite meditation, Jesus, and all his glory. Amen? And that's how Enoch walked with God. You read the book Patriarchs and Prophets. After he had a son, the beauty of the love of God And Jesus Christ became the subject of his meditation day and night. And this is how he walked with God. So here's our challenge, friends. After we accept Christ, after we're baptized, to have the holy place experience, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be constant in prayer, to be armed with the Word of God, so that we can bring every thought to the obedience of Jesus Christ. And the beauty of this experience is that the more you have the holy place experience, the easier it gets. Amen? And you can build the habit of holy thoughts. I want to end with this quotation I've shared it before, book Steps to Christ, page 47. Many are inquiring, How am I to surrender myself to God? You desire to give yourself to Him, but you are weak in moral power, in slavery to doubt, and controlled by the habits of your life of sin. Your promises and resolutions are like ropes of sand. You cannot control your thoughts your impulses, your affections. What you need to understand is the true force of the will. This is the governing power in the nature of men, the power of decision or of choice. Everything depends on the right action of the will, the power of choice God has given to men. It is theirs to exercise. You cannot change your heart. You cannot of yourself give to God its affections, but you can choose to serve him. You can give him Your will, thus your whole nature, will be brought under the control of the Spirit of Christ. You can go to the Lord Jesus and say, Lord, I can't control my thoughts. You can go to the Lord Jesus and say, my thoughts are running in a direction right now that is destructive. Uh, My thoughts are running right now in a direction that is negative, my thoughts are running in a way right now that is extremely critical and unChristlike. Help me. Help me. And the prayer of help me is the most powerful prayer that you can ever pray because you're giving God authorization for divine power to do the impossible. How many of you want that today? Amen. How many of you desire that help? Let us pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we can't control our thoughts. There are things that pop into our minds that pull at our carnal nature and quite frankly, we enjoy meditating on them. But help us, Lord, to bring every thought into the obedience of Jesus Christ. Help us to think Christ-like thoughts. Help us... To come to the place where Jesus and his character is the favorite place that we want to go in our minds. Believing that we'll be changed from faith to faith, from day to day, and from glory to glory. For we ask these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse